Good evening, everyone. Our scripture reading this evening is found in Psalm 119, verses 129 through 136. Psalm 119, 129 through 136. We are continuing our series on Psalm 119. Today, we come to this section. As you already know, this psalm is divided in 22 sections, all having for its head a letter of the Hebrew alphabet to facilitate memorization. Today, we come to letter Pei. Listen to God's word, please. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words give light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me. As it is your way with those who love your name, keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppression, that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant, and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of tears, because people do not keep your law. Let us pray once again. Almighty and glorious God, we are here to hear not a voice of man, but the voice of God. Please, show us your glory. Show us your glory that we might be transformed and that souls might be converted to you. In Jesus we pray, amen. Words are important. Above all, God's word he spoke the world into existence. God is a verbal communicator. He wrote ten commandments in tables of stones and gave it to his people so that they could live by it. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, Jesus is called the Word of God. He is the living Word. It is also the way that he's called one time in Revelation, right? Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, again, says that God speaks to us through his Son. And this should be enough for me and for you to be interested in God's word. The Holy Spirit moved man to write the scriptures so that through them, through the scriptures, God speaks to us. And uh, the author of Psalm 119 knows that very well. Therefore, he treasures the word of God above all things. The context in which the psalmist finds himself is that of a worldly society that opposes God's teaching and oppresses those who live by God's law. 
He's a young man, as we notice from verse 9, under the oppression of those who despise God. He is surrounded by apostasy. And uh, honestly, I think it's not much different from our society today. Thousands of years have passed, but human heart without God is always the same. It's helpless, and it is contrary, it is contrary to God. Do we see increasing apostasy in our day? We surely do. We surely do. Do we see God's commandment being pushed aside? Do we see laws contrary to God's law? Well, let us see. The scriptures teaches that God made man, that we are not our own. Our body do not belong to us. And what does, what does the world teach? Well, it, it is your body. Do with it whatever you want. Do with it whatever you want. The Bible says, the heart is deceitful above all things. And what does the world teach about the heart? Follow your heart. Follow your heart. The Bible teaches that we are born in sins and transgressions. What does the world say about us? Men is basically good. You have good in you. You only have to seek hard enough. What, is, what a great lie. What a great lie. Well, we should not be surprised. Psalm 1 makes a contrast between two kinds of men. The first one is a man who loves God and who delights in his law. This man is like a tree planted by the streams of water. This man bears good fruit in good season. But someone talks also about another man, the wicked. He is a scoffer. He despises God's law. And the scripture says that this man is like chaff. Tossed by the wind. Driven away everywhere. Well, this man will not stand in God's judgment. God says that he will perish. He will perish. And I want you to picture uh, Psalm 1 in your mind. And take it as a template as we read our message this evening, because the author of Psalm 119 is this man, is this man who delights in the law of God. He delights in it. God's word is central in the life of the psalmist. His appreciation for, for it is so great that it, it draws, his praises, it compels him to obey it. It determines his joy, his sorrow, and it shapes his petitions. The Bible is the lens by which this man reads the world around him and by which he evaluates 
everything by which he evaluates everything. All aspects of the life of the psalmist is determined by his commitment to God's will. And this is what this psalm teaches us. It teaches us that all aspects of the life of the Christian must be determined, must be shaped by his love for his God and for his law. All aspects of the life of the Christian must be determined, must be shaped by his love for his God and for his law. And we are going to divide our message in four headings. First, the psalmist's praise. Second, the psalmist's greatest desire. Third, the psalmist's petition. And fourth, the psalmist's greatest sorrow. The psalmist's praise, the psalmist's greatest desire, the psalmist's petition, and the psalmist's greatest sorrow. He starts, he starts with praise. Look at verse 129. He says, your testimonies are wonderful. And here we have in the word testimonies, just as we have for precepts and statutes, a synonym for the scriptures as a whole. And what is God's word all about? Children, why? Why are we to read the Bible? Why are we to value it more than gold? Well, it is because it reveals to us the triune God. It reveals to us the triune God. It teaches about his character, his justice, and his love for us. It is wonderful. It is wonderful. It is a living word. This black book that you have by you right now is not ordinary literature. It is not dead letter. It is a living word. It is a life-giving word. Read any other literature. I don't care what it is. Shakespeare, perhaps, or some other kind of bestseller. You name it. You read it. It might impress you. You might get good things out of it. But it will not impart life. You will not find in it the way for the eternal life because it lacks divine power. But read the scriptures. And there you have it. A two-edged sword. It tells you what it is in your heart. It tells you, it, it uncovers the most hidden sins of your heart. Have you ever had that experience when the word of God is being preached and it tells you exactly what you have in your heart? Your sins, your struggles, it describes you. It strengthens you. Well, this is why the psalmist cannot help but burst out into admiration of God's word. It is wonderful. It is wonderful. This is why we should read it. 
This is why we should listen to it. And this is why we should spend time meditating on it. We should meditate on it. Well, but some people, they might not reject God's word right away. They can appreciate some of the wisdom in it. They can speak highly about it. They can even quote it when they think it's convenient for them. They might say, God is love. But they will stop there. They want no commitment with it. They do not want their lives to be governed by it. They do not want that. But what the psalmist have for the word of God is not mere intellectual agreement. He is not a mere admirer of God's word, but he is entirely devoted to it. And we will see it in this text. He wants to obey it. And he says, therefore, my soul keeps them. His faith is not that faith. His religion is not that religion. But it has a practical consequence. It has a practical consequence. And if you are convinced that the word of God is all that Psalm 119 says. Wonderful. Life-giving. Lie to your path. Then you most certainly want to keep them. You want to keep them. You want the life that is in it, the natural consequence of recognizing the value of God's word is obedience. It is obedience. And I find it fascinating that obedience to God's law, to this man, is not a heavy burden. Obedience to God's law is not a heavy burden to those who know its value. It's not a heavy burden, but rather it is a joyful response to its, to its wonderfulness. It's a joyful response to its wonderfulness. Because, because everything about it is good. Because there is no lie in it. It is the truth. It is the truth. Because even though it is a duty, God is pleased to bless those who obey his law. Well, the man who obeys God's law is truly happy. This is how this psalm begins. Blessed are those who walk in it. They are truly happy. Only those, only those who obey what the Bible teaches. No enduring happiness. Only those who know it and who obey it. And here is one advantage, one benefit, one benefit that obeying God's law gives us. Verse 130 says, The unfolding of your word gives light. And the idea here is that the word of God is written in a scroll, as it used to be in the past, when we did not have books. It was written in a scroll, and it was rolled up and kept somewhere. Well, 
when it was closed, there was nothing, no profit from it, right? And that is the same now. The Bible, seated somewhere in your house, it brings no edification to your soul. You know, back in Brazil, they have this, this bad habit. They have the, the Bible open, perhaps in the living room, usually in Psalm 23, right? And they believe that somehow, just the action of having the Bible open, sitting in your living room, they, they, it, it's going to impart some mystical blessedness. But that's not the way we are edified, is that? They are not feeding in it or on it. It's not coming to their mind, not coming to their hearts. It's not part of their lives. And it's the same for us. It's the same for us. If we just leave the word of God sitting somewhere closed, never reading, never meditating on it, it, it's, it's, it is when it's open that it imparts blessedness. Do you think of when Jesus was walking on the road to Emmaus and that he, wa- he was walking with the disciples? They were confused, right? They were afraid and they did not recognize Jesus. But as he opened the scriptures to them, as he expounded the scriptures to them, their heart burned within them. The second half of verse 130 explains it further. It says that the word of God gives understanding to the simple. And the word translated as simple refers to the unexperienced but teachable person of Proverbs 1.4. And in a sense, it describes all of us, doesn't it? Matthew Henry says that, The word of God is the ordinary means by which the Spirit of God enlightens the understanding of all that are sanctified. Indeed, all who want to be sanctified need the light, need the understanding that the scriptures impart. But sometimes it is not the way that we see the word of God, is it? How many times haven't we neglected it? How many times don't we come to church on Sunday, Sunday morning or Sunday evening? And when the word is being preached, we have our minds somewhere else. We are thinking perhaps of the plans that we have for the next week. Or we are thinking of what we are going to do next after the service. Right? When that is the case, we miss The blessedness. We miss the opportunity to be fed with the word of God. To be strengthened by it. We miss it. We miss it. The scriptures are such a glorious gift of God. But, see, we frequently underestimate it. Well, this psalm stirs us up to renew our interest on God's word. Our interest for the Bible. 
one commentator said that reading God's word is to have an encounter with God. Do you want to have an encounter with God? Well, it is here. It is here in the scriptures that it's going to happen. Read it. Meditate on it. Listen to sermons. That is the way. That is the way to meet, to meet God. To be saturated with the Bible. To be saturated with it should be our greatest desire. And that's our second point. The psalmist's greatest desire. Verse 131 says, I open my mouth and pant and pant. The first idea here is that of a young bird that has his mouth open, waiting to receive food. And actually, in the original, uh, the word expresses open wide. He's eager. He's hungry for God's word. Together with the verb pant, it suggests that the author craves. He longs for God's teaching. He has really hunger for it. And this is not the same thing as an optional snack. It's not the same thing as a dessert. We like dessert, but it's not essential, right? But what he has in relation to God's word is a need of the main nutrition. It is his main nutrition. He compares also his longing for the scriptures uh, to an animal being hunted down. It runs, it runs until it comes to exhaustion. And it needs a fresh air. It needs that fresh air. It is with this longing, he seeks to have that refreshment in God's word. And indeed, it is the only place where he's going to find it. He's going to find it only there. He's expressing his great appetite for God's word. Give this man a great amount of money. He will not be satisfied. He will not. Promise him success. He will not be content. He will not. Give him perfect health. It will not be sufficient. His greatest desire is his God. Charles Spurgeon puts it this way. All that the world could offer him left him still panting with open mouth. His love for God is but an expression of his love for God himself. It's God that he's looking for. See verse 132b, when he equals himself with those who love God's name. Verse 131 is really an expression of the longing of the soul of the psalmist for his God. Just as one song says, give me Christ, give me Christ. Or else I die. 
Oh, brothers and sisters, what is your greatest desire? What sets your soul at rest? Why do you get up every morning? What do you seek? What is the greatest longing of your life? Is the triune God. Your greatest desire. If so, how frequent do you seek this encounter with him? How frequent? Because we know only he can satisfy our souls. Do you want to be closer to God? Do you want to be filled with the Spirit? Well, you will not have that apart from God's work. Don't be looking for, for some mystical experiences. The Holy Spirit has given already, has breathed the Word. It is here. Do not look somewhere else. Read. Meditate on it. Psalm 1 says to you that blessed is the man who meditates on it. But see, the man of Psalm 1, the man of 119, is a man so hungry for God's word that once a day will not satisfy his soul. You don't eat meals once a day, do you? You want to be strong, and you also like tasting food, right? So, we should have the same hunger for God's word. Just as the psalmist, he meditates on it not once a day, but day and night. Day and night. This is what he does. It is also the way that Peter pictures for us what should be our longing for God's word. Peter in chapter 1 of his first letter, kind of gives a similar picture. He teaches that Christians, as Christians, we should long for the spiritual milk as newborn infant. Have you, have you ever seen a baby when he wants his milk? He will stop for nothing until he has it. Brothers and sisters, this is the way that we should Seek the word of God. This is how much we should treasure it. This is how much we should treasure it. Our third point is the psalmist's petition. Because at this point, perhaps someone will think that the psalmist is a legalist. Because he has said that my soul Keeps them. That might sound arrogant for some, but that's not good reading of the text, is it? Take a look at uh, verse 132, part A. Turn to me and be what? Gracious to me. He begs for grace. Grace is not incompatible with obedience. Grace is not incompatible with obedience. Some people think that our relationship with God is based either on our obedience to Him or on His grace. But the Bible do not separate those. 
The Bible puts them side by side, like twin brothers, obedience and dependence on God's grace. Obedience and dependence. On one hand, you can really, you can really obey God only if you know his grace. On the other hand, those who know God's grace desire earnestly to please him. If you use God's grace as an excuse not to obey him, then you should question whether you have understood saving grace. Our text teaches us that there is this harmony between the commitment to keep God's command and dependence on him at the same time. The Christian desires to obey God's word, but at the same time, he recognizes that it, it is impossible without God's help. Do you think you can obey God without grace? Try to live without sin for one day. You will not succeed it. I will not succeed it. We need Christ. We need to be united with him. Because Jesus is the one who perfectly fulfilled the law of God. And not only that, but he can impart power to us. Only united with him. Only united with him. We can obey God's law. We can overcome sin. And the psalmist explains in verses 133 through 135, he explains how he expects God to show his grace to him. Let us take a look at verse 133. In 133, as a metaphor for a way of life, he asks that God himself will establish his steps according to his word and that no iniquity will have dominion over him. The author is pursuing sanctification. Matthew Henry again says that the dominion of sin is to be dreaded and deprecated by every one of us. And if we, sin if we in sincerity pray against it, we may receive that promise as an answer to prayer. Those who love God hate sin. Those who love God hate sin. Appreciation for God and his precepts necessarily result in despise for sin. The more you grow in appreciation to God and his word, the more you despise sin, the more you despise it. And we know that the only way to overcome sin is by God's grace. And just as the psalmist prays, this should be one content of our petition, right? This daily dose of grace. In verse 134, he asks for redemption from oppression of the wicked, that he might have freedom to what? To keep God's precepts. You cannot get God's precepts 
out of the mind of the conversation of the prayers of this man. He desires deliverance from the enemies. Just as we pray in the Lord's Prayer, right? Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Many have fallen into temptation because of oppression. Oppression exposes our frailty. And the psalmist, he does not trust his spirituality to overcome sin. But rather, he shows his dependence on God. You see that his desire, his request is to give something back to his God. Such is his love for God. Such is his love for him. One commentator says that knowing God is not means to something else. It is not means to something else, but he should be the greatest desire of our lives. If I have God, I have everything. I have more than I could ask for. More than I could ever imagine. And in fact, only him can fill our souls with joy. We are worshipers. We were made for that. We will not function in any other way. We will not. So if you are seeking fulfillment in anything else, well, frustration is inevitable. It is inevitable. And uh, in verse 135, the author asks that God make his face shine upon him. Well, the Lord's face shining upon a person is a confirmation of his favor and of his grace. Nothing can bring more joy and more peace to the Christian than know that God looks at him in favor, especially in times of turmoil, especially in those hard times. It is our comfort to know that God, God's face, his favor, is toward us. You know, I find it a very good way to evaluate what, what I want the most. When I look at the content of my prayers. And more times than I would like to admit, my prayers tend to be somewhat selfish. But when I look at a prayer like this, then I see a prayer that is according to God's heart, honorable to him. Well, James 4, 3 teaches us that at times, not always, but at times, the reason why our prayers are not answered is because we do not, we ask wrongly. And how do we ask wrongly? Because we ask to spend In our passion. But it's not the case of the psalmist. His prayer is that God, that he will be satisfied in his God. In his God. His prayer is that he's going to be able to live a life that honor his God. Our last point 
is the psalmist's greatest sorrow. Verse 136 says, My eyes shed stream of tears because people do not keep your law. This is how serious this man is about God's law. This is how serious he is. He cannot be indifferent to people's rebellion to God and to his law. He sheds not one or two tears, brothers and sisters, but he shares, he sheds rivers and rivers of waters. Because he has been illuminated by God's grace to see that God's word is the only true in a world of lies. The only way we have freedom and life. Because he loves God so much. He knows he is worthy of praise and honor. And because he knows that those who oppose God will perish. He understands that the despise for God's law is nothing short of the greatest tragedy. You know, the greatest tragedy that that can happen is not a hurricane. It's not a typhoon that destroys a city. It's not to be struck with a mortal illness. The worst tragedy of all is despise for God's law and for God himself. George Whitfield, a preacher, was accused of being too emotional and and dramatic. It was not unusual for him to, to cry while he was preaching. One observer said of him, I could hardly bear such unreserved use of tears. George Whitfield explained himself answering, You blame me for weeping? But how can I help it when you not weep for yourselves Though your immortal souls are on the verge of destruction. Oh, my friend. Despise for God's word. If you ignore it. The law of God. God himself. Is not going to be less wonderful. It is you who are going to remain foolish. It it is you who is going to be due to damnation. You are causing God's face not to shine upon you, but to be against you. To be against you. And ultimately, it will cause you to be due to eternal punishment. There is no life apart from God. No life apart from His word. No life apart from Jesus, the living word. So ask God that he will open your eyes, that you behold the wonderful things out of his law. And Christians, if examining our petitions to God is a good way to find out what is our greatest desire, a complement to that examination is to ask, what is your deepest sorrow? What is your deepest sorrow? And I hope and pray that on the top of that list, your greatest grief 
is when you see that God is being dishonored. When you see or you hear the name of God being taken in vain. When you see ignorance. When you see a soul going to hell. And pray to God that that grief will move you. Move you first to honor God by obeying his wonderful word first. And also that you seek that those who despise God's law will see the wonderful things of it manifest to them. That they may be saved. Let us pray. O merciful, triune, and wonderful God. O Lord, we thank you for your amazing work. We thank you for your word, for Jesus, the living word. Lord, wake us up. Give us ears to hear and heart to understand your word. Please, Lord, help us not to be dull. Help us to meditate on the very words that we have been fed on, that we, we have heard this morning and this evening. May it resonate in our hearts and minds and become practice in our guide that Jesus will be glorified. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. We are going to sing now hymn number 557. 557. Blessed are the undefiled.